It's time for Sports Wrap on 760 WJR. All right, this is the wrap on 760 WJR. To a car phone we go. Dave, thanks for hanging on. You're on 760. Gentlemen, and Stephen Dance, you got the chemistry. It's cooking. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Are you calling us from your office? I'm doing Sports Center tonight. With Are you really? Dan Patrick. Well, I'm very impressed. By the way, give Dan our best. He's a good man. And, I will. Uh, hey, hey, Dan. Chuck Swirsky says hi. This is the best sports rap has ever been, in my opinion. Now, here's your host, Chris Renwick. Justin Verlander, Jack Morris, Jim Bunning, Virgil Trucks, George Mullen, and now, Spencer Turnbull. The eighth no-no in Tigers history. It happened Tuesday night at T-Mobile Park against the Seattle Mariners. In his 50th big league start, and the only blemishes on the whole card, two walks. But Spencer Turnbull with a no-no. Uh, the Tigers win that one five to nothing. And I'll tell you, Nick, it's a damn shame that it happened on the West Coast time because it was like one o'clock in the morning. And it's just there just wasn't a lot of eyes on the TV sets, if you know what I mean. No, it, yeah. It's just a shame that it happened out there. We talked last weekend about your trip to Comerica Park. Saw the Cubbies. It would have been a lot more exciting if that happened against the Cubs on a Sunday or a Saturday afternoon rather than uh, 1 in the morning on Tuesday. Turns out Wednesday morning. The dozens of people there would have been thrilled. Um, Look, I think think from from Turnbull's perspective, I, I think it's really exciting to see. Look, you got 50 big league starts under your belt. That's not a lot. You're a young guy, uh, and... For me, I just feel like he was finally able to take command of his pitches with the with the with the four seam fastball, able to cut it, able to move it when he needed to. Worked in some other off speed stuff. It was really nice to see because that's kind of what we expected out of Spencer Turnbull at, at different points in his young career. But but to see him take that next step, I thought was really big. Yeah, and it's it's the makings of a nice pitching staff. I mean. You put him with Casey Mize, yeah, who oh, has been lights out lately. Uh, when yeah. in his start against Seattle, uh, seven and two thirds, seven strikeouts, one run. He pitched well against Kansas City. He pitched well against Boston. So, I mean, I, I think you have a nice making if Tariq Skubal can kind of round oh. into form. Things are looking up for the pitching staff. And here's a, the always the unsung portion of a no-no is the catcher yeah. eric haas is rookie. is a rookie um to to keep composure uh stay with the game plan throughout nine innings over 117 pitches uh he said after the game it's just special it didn't really feel super tense from one pitch he was executing the game plan and he looked sharp tonight talking about spencer turnbull but eric haas behind the plate it plays a big role in that they worked in tandem when they're trying to figure out uh, uh pitch selection pitch placement um and, and working batters over uh it, it was just a really nice performance from a couple of young guys and of course, the defense behind him all. I mean, he did have a couple hard hit uh, pitches, but uh, defense stayed strong. And I thought Eric Haas behind the plate called a really nice game. And then Spencer Turnbull did what he needed to do. So I think you're exactly right. When you talk about uh, the Scoobles, 
and and the Mises, and now what we're starting at least hopefully the the start of a nice run here for Spencer Turnbull. I think it's a really good sign here uh, for this Tigers team moving forward. You know, uh, the other side of all of this, of course, in baseball, there's this old school mentality with baseball. And I'll be honest with you, I absolutely detest it. I can't stand it. And and it was no more apparent than the other night, earlier this week, when uh, Yerman Mercedes, who plays for the White Sox, um, is apparently going to be in some hot hot water here with manager Tony La Russa because they were leading the Twins. What was it 15 to 4? Nick. Yeah. Monday night, uh, 15 to four when Minnesota, I mean, look, you're, you're, you're losing at bottom of the ninth. It's over. Okay. You're, you're not, you're not going to come back and score 12 runs. Um, so Yerman Mercedes is up to bat. The twins bring in a position player to pitch. They pitched three relievers in addition to the starter, and and then the, the position player came to finish out the game. I assume because they didn't want to use any more bullpen guys that night when the, the game's over. So Yerman Mercedes takes a 45-mile-an-hour meatball from a position player yard. On a 3-0 count. On a 3-0 count. And apparently, the sign from the bench in Tony LaRusso was, take, don't swing the bat. And Yerman Mercedes... Who, by the way, is having a a a bonkers year. He's got 49 hits and 133 uh, at bats, batting 368, and he's got a slugging percentage north of of 570. You think he should just take? Now I understand. I understand that that you're just trying to get out of the ballpark at that point. But Yerman Mercedes is a young player who's having a whale of a year. He's certainly in a groove. I don't know why you're telling your players to to not hit the baseball. Stop it. I think for Tony LaRusso to come out publicly and say, ah, he's going to have some uh, some disciplinary action within the family here. I think it's absolute nonsense. I think that part of the game is needs to be over. That old way of thinking about baseball should be done. I think Tony LaRusa is completely in the wrong. I think he should be backing his guy instead of of putting him down. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's ridiculous too. I mean, you remember uh last month when Anthony Rizzo struck out Freddie Freeman and though it was such a, a funny moment. It was a 10-nothing game. The Cubs were down. Anthony Rizzo's on the mound. He strikes out his good friend Freddie Freeman and everyone's laughing. You can't have it both ways. No, no, no. And and the other part of it, too, is I, it didn't even sound to me like the Twins were that, all that upset about it. Now, the next day, Yerman Mercedes got hit. Well, thrown behind. Okay, yeah. okay. And then uh, Tyler Duffy was ejected, the reliever. Fine. But my point is, and that, that that's all well within the game, and I'm, I'm okay with that part. But this old, you know, you know what you want to do? If you don't want Yerman Mercedes to hit a home run, then then strike him out. Then then have him ground out to first. Pop infield pop whatever. Get him out then. I don't know why it's it it would fall on Tony Larusa or any member 
of that White Sox team to not play the game. You're still in the game. I, you know, these guys, especially in sports now, and name any, maybe any sport where any player is going to just hot dog it when they've got millions of dollars on the line. It just, it, 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 it doesn't exist. And I'll tell you, it shouldn't exist. I'm, I, I am, th- I would take Nurman Mercedes on my team in a minute. That's the kind of killer attitude that I want on any team. So I think Tony LaRusso is out of line. I think he's incredibly old school. And I think he's, I think that that is past the, that is past uh, your, your prime. When, when this is the uh, the modus operandi of, amongst some of these older managers and older ideas of baseball. I think it's ludicrous. Um, I, I know some people think it's crazy, too, that Steve Eiserman decided to bring back Jeff Blaschel. And I just don't understand that. Um, I, I think if you look at the hand that Jeff Blaschel was dealt, um, he's been dealing with the the bottoming out of an incredibly uh, consistent and winning organization over the last 20, 25 years. And he's been, he's been the, the guy to shepherd you through the bottom, the bottom of the barrel. You're, you're down to, to the sludge of the wine barrel. I mean, you're at the bottom. I don't know what you, what you expect Jeff Blaschel to be. He doesn't have the adequate talent yet. He doesn't have, you know, he, he didn't have the, the great benefit of, of the organization hitting on guys like Pavel Datsuk and Henrik Zetterberg, late round draft picks that, that became stars in this league. Lady Bing Trophy winners and, and some of the best of the best at their positions, Stanley Cup champions. He didn't have that. And so you're, you're, you're looking at, this is something that Wings fans have not, and look, I've been just as frustrated as a lot of Wings fans because we are so accustomed to being a, a perennial um, playoff or Stanley Cup caliber team. It just isn't where we're at right now. So once you accept that and you realize where we're at in the process, we're building these guys up. Steve Eiserman has a plan here. He's got the vision. You see in the Anthony Mantha deal, bringing in Jacob Barana. You see acquiring draft capital to give yourself a couple extra lottery tickets to try to hit the jackpot. You, you see the development of, of some of these guys uh, like Rasmussen. Certainly, the, 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 look, and, and guys like uh, Dylan Larkin need to continue to develop or they, their future will not be in Detroit. So I, I don't mind the Blaschel thing. I mean, I, I, there has been times where I've been frustrated with Blaschel and the job he's done, but I don't think it's Blaschel's fault. I think this team has improved, and I think that they play hard for Jeff Blaschel. Yeah, and that's what Steve Eiserman said. They play hard for him. But can there be a a better way of going about this. I agree. I, I think he should be back, but is he, is, is his message becoming stale in the locker room with these guys? He's been there for so long. He just finished his sixth year. Is mm-hmm. it time for a new voice? That became the kind of call with Mike Babcock. Yes, it I mean, did. He was a very successful coach for the Red Wings, but it was time for a new voice. So 
in, in hockey, you hear that a lot more than you do in like the NFL. Like nobody's like uh, Mike Tomlin. That that thing is getting stale. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it, it is a particularly unique to hockey thing. Um, but I'm excited Jeff Blasher's coming back. I think he's a good man or a good coach. And I think uh, this is the this is the time for Jeff Blaschel to shepherd this team into the next era of Red Wing hockey. All right, more to come on Sports Wrap. Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy here on WJR. Now back to more Sports Wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. And let me take this moment to be get off, uh, you know, get off my lawn guy. Old get off my lawn guy. So we all know of cryptocurrency, of, you know, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, of the whole thing. Well, now the NBA is kind of getting involved in that. This story uh, from March 2nd. People have spent more than $230 million buying and trading digital collectibles of NBA highlights. They're called NBA Top Shots, and they're essentially a blockchain of a trading card. So of a notable play, of a, you know, Steph Curry half-court, three-point swoosh, whatever it is, they make a, a limited number of, of these highlights available that you can purchase in a pack of however many they come in, a few of them. You can uh, you know, spend 10 bucks and you get uh, two or three or four highlights, and then it's kind of a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get. Maybe you get a really uh, highly uh, sought-after clip of a play. You can use that to you know, sell it and make more money. So, and Nick and I have been talking about this a lot. You know, you, you talk about a LeBron James highlight, Nick, being sold for 200000 Zion Williamson going for similar numbers. I don't understand what this is. Because <laughs> it, in my mind, what makes a, a baseball card valuable, what makes a Mickey Mantle card valuable, is you've got the card, and there are only so many of these cards, what I don't understand about these video top shots, these video blockchain, you know, uh, uh, cryptocurrency type of pieces here is I don't understand where the value is. If I can go on YouTube and watch LeBron James posterize, uh, you know, uh, uh, whoever, pick your player, then I don't understand what the value is in one of these in one of these video clips that you would buy. Okay. Now, I understand that uh, that this piece is unique to you because you own this video. But if I can, uh, the only thing that's happening here for me is I'm 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 seeing it. I it, that that to me is where y you lose me. So can, can you explain to me what this is about? This NBA Top Shot deal. Uh, hopefully. So I think you got to get it out <laughs> of your head that it's it's a video. Yes, it's a clip, but. I assume that the only reason it's a video is because it's more engaging than just a photo that are on trading cards. So it's sure. not like, oh, I have this video on a trading card and the videos on YouTube and they're the same thing. The only, if you have a Mickey Mantle card, it's only valuable if you sell it. That's what makes these top shot cards or, or collectibles valuable is reselling them to other people. 
So the fact that it's backed up by blockchain assures you that there's only so many, they aren't being mass produced. So you have assurances that you have one of a hundred of LaMelo Ball's first assist. So once you have that, it has value because people want that. It's just like your Mickey Mantle card, your Honus Wagner card. I think I think talking but about it as, as a YouTube video is a little off base. I, I mean, look, I, I, I'm the first to admit I don't get it. I don't get it. Because if that Mickey Mantle card that you have sells for whatever, $500,000, which is on the low side, I think I saw somewhere. Hold on, i got to find it. Um, a recent 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle card worth today $5.2 million. So... <laughs> If a Mickey Mantle card is worth five mil, that's a thing. That's like a it's it's in it's got to be in pristine condition. It's got to be in uh, you know you don't want to have any creases or folds or frays on the edge. It, it's it's got to be rated. Uh, it's it's th- there's a whole system that goes into the value of this card. If you fold it up into a, a cootie catcher, it, it ain't going to be worth $5 million. Which it's might be worth make $5. these NBA top shots even better to own because they don't lose value if you accidentally uh, drop it on the floor and your dog walks on it. Like, if, you, if, you, if you're the person who spends $500,000 or $5 million on a card and you get it delivered and it has a crease in it, you're going to be upset. That's why I think these are the future of trading because they won't lose their value because they are digital and virtual. And yeah, you can't hang them on or you can't post them on your wall or put them in a little plaque, but maybe eventually you will get a a virtual plaque that you can have it on your wall or have it in your man cave or something like that. Absolutely. It's going to be just a little screen. Yeah. And it's just going to be, it's going to be continuous, a, a 45 second cut. Of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Andre Drummond missing a free throw. <laughs> it's just going to be continuous. Uh, it's going to be like, uh, you know, you're, you're in purgatory. So, I look, I, I admit, I don't understand. But here's the thing. Is not only are, are is there a market for this, which, again, I, I don't understand. But if there's a market for it, as of early March you got 230 million reasons why there's a market for this. But I would imagine that this won't just stop in the NBA. No. That this is going to go to uh, Major League Baseball. They're going to go to the NHL. And certainly, certainly, the NFL is going to get involved in this. Yeah, why? I mean... you, you talk about where the money is. There, There are... Uh, and I got to find the number here and I lost it, but the, the NBA is taking, you know, 15% of this, of this money. It's just free cash. Well, the, the NBA fans are much more, uh, digitally, uh, savvy. I think it will be very, I think that's why it's very successful in the NBA. But I mean, we grew up trading baseball cards. So you think it's a natural fit for major league baseball, but can you imagine being one of the no. 100 people who own a Patrick Mahomes, that left-handed pass he threw? Oh, like that would be special. It would be special. It would be special in the sense that what? You own that clip? 
You know, you own that thing. I think you got to get out of your head. It's a video. You own. It's a. It's a. I think it's a trading card. It happens to be online. All right, fair enough. You know, the other thing is what's kind of cool about this is wherever you are, wherever you are, you've got access to it. You know, I've got I've got bins of baseball cards in my basement. Uh, two or three plastic tubs of baseball cards. What do I do with them? They're just sitting there. Yeah. Here, y- y- they don't even take up space. It's just uh, in the ether. So, I mean, it is. I mean, look, I get it. I see where this is going. I don't understand. <laughs> so, at the end of the day, did, it, did this help at all or no? No, 100%. No. <laughs> no. No. But, uh, look, I'm interested. Maybe we should do a little research. Maybe we should. Maybe a sports rap should acquire some top shots. Maybe yeah, make maybe some money we'll off of it. Maybe yeah, we'll make it's some. an investment. It is. It is an investment. All right, more to come here on Sports Wrap. Uh, Chris Renwick, Nick Roddy here on WJR coming up next. Now back to more Sports Wrap, presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. One of the big winners, taking you back to last summer, one of the big winners during COVID, and COVID's been an awful time, but golf courses really did really well last summer. And and a lot of that has has continued on to to this part of, of the year or, or late spring, you know, getting into summer here. And uh, the reason really that why the game flourished last year here in Michigan was because of, it was really one of the only activities you could participate in. It was outside. You were able to socially distance. It was a win-win. So golf really in the state saw a huge peak last year. And, and again, a lot of those numbers are continuing, but with that comes a whole other set of things that you need to think about, right? I played a couple rounds this year and most of the courses that I've played have been in really good shape. The winners wasn't too damaging to a lot of these courses. Um, And so a lot of these superintendents and grounds crew members got a a nice head start on, on restoring the course to, you know, midsummer form or or whatever. And so that's an important part here, but just like many other industries in our state and around the country, golf course superintendents, ground crew members, they're just not as, uh, I don't know, plentiful as they have been in years past. And so many people are saying, look, you're seeing an uptick in, in uh, uh, pace of play is a lot slower because the courses are a lot busier. And in some cases, a lot of these courses aren't in great shape. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because there's a severe lack of, of shortage of grounds crew members that are able to upkeep and take care of the course. It's a very interesting story. And to help us kind of get a, a fuller picture here, we were able to reach out and thankfully able to spend some time with Adam Mickamus, who is the executive director of the Michigan Golf Course Superintendents Association. And he joins us this evening on Sports Wrap. Adam, how are you? I'm doing well, Chris. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you got it. I, I mean, look, I, I think pace of play has slowed down because more people are on the course. And and with that, I mean, you're just going to see uh, the course getting beat up a little bit. Do you have the people uh, able to 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 keep this thing up? Or are you seeing a shortage like many others in the restaurant industry or other sectors of our economy? Are you seeing a, a shortage in your workforce? Yeah, we sure are. It's the number one thing I hear from all of our members. Uh, we have well over 400 golf course superintendent members in our association and 700 or so total 
uh, it is the number one issue we're having is, uh, you know, normally you, you have a golf course crew of 10 to 12. A lot of people are trying to get by with four, maybe even less than that. Lots of times it's just the mm-hmm. superintendent and one other person. Uh, and that's going to take its toll. Uh, that would take its toll any year. But specifically now, all of a sudden, golf is on pace to break. Uh, last year was the second busiest year we ever had. Uh, the busiest year was 1997 after Tiger won the Masters. Uh, and everybody kind of thinks that we're probably going to go over that this year. So uh, just the traffic on the golf course, the ability to get out in the afternoons and do work when you're, you know, the pace of play is slow. It's pretty impossible. I'm sure you guys have all been waiting on the tee for the guy to finish mowing the rough for the fairway or whatever it is. Um, you know, if you don't have enough people to do all that in the morning before play, you got to try to do it in the afternoon during play. Uh, so it's just really inefficient and really a big challenge for our members. How does this differ from other years? You, you talk about uh, in the past, so you've had, you know, upwards of, you know, anywhere between 10, 20 different uh, grounds crew members at, at any particular course. Uh, how are, what, how, what makes this particularly different than other years? Is it, is it just a COVID thing or are you seeing a decline um, at, at this end of the game where, you know, this part of the game is, is a necessity. It's, it's up to you guys um, to make sure that the courses are in good condition enough to where people can come and play them. So are you seeing a decline in that part of the game or, or is it just specifically to COVID? No, it's been building for a while. Uh, there's been a lot of smoke that's kind of turned into fire because of COVID. Um, it's always, it's always been an issue. Uh, back when I was a superintendent, we used to have job fairs and, you know, 20, 30, 40 people show up for a job. And now, I mean, just to compete uh, pay-wise, uh, which, you know, obviously impacts the budget, which then impacts the cost of a round of golf, um, and all trickles down to the golfer. So it's it's definitely worse now uh, as to why. I mean, it, it could be COVID-related. Uh, it could be based on, you know, a lot of people think it's based on the unemployment payments that people are getting. When I started on the golf course uh, at 17 years old, I mean, I, I discovered this amazing job where you get to see the sunrise and you're outdoors and you're on a golf course and that instant gratification of taking care of the playing surfaces before the golfers come out. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just a great job. You know, you get out there at five thirty-six in the morning, you're done by two or three in the afternoon. You have the rest of the day to go play golf or take care of other things. So it's a great job and it can lead to a great career. There's also a big shortage of uh, students going through the turf program at Michigan state. Uh, I graduated in 2002 with close to 30 and this year, I think there's 10 in the program. Uh, and it's been like that for a while. So it, it really can be an opportunity. If you love golf and you love being outside, uh, it might be the right fit for you. And, you know, you can make a pretty good living being a golf course superintendent. Well, let me ask you this. Did, did it did it make you a better golfer? No, no. It, well, <laughs> that's not true. You know, it did. It did when I got to be the golf course superintendent. I was up at Crystal Mountain in northwest Michigan, and sure. they had a really good golf school. So I started playing with more of the golf pros and you know, I'd see him on a break and go take a few swings. So it did, that made me a better golfer. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, there's some parts of it that sure can definitely make you a better golfer. You think more about drainage and the way putts break towards the drains and irrigation and sand types and that sort of stuff. But uh, I think at this point, I'm too far gone. <laughs> right, well, I'm, I'm 32 <laughs> and I feel the same way. Uh, yeah. y- you talk about just the, the, the necessary, the need for, grounds crew member superintendents is, is huge. How can golfers play a role in this? Obviously it ju- just doing the little things, right? It's replacing a divot, yeah. filling it with, uh, with sand or seed and, um, you know, fixing your, uh, your, your, you know, your ball marks on the green, whatever it is I would imagine. And then those are all just very simple little things that, 
that golfers can do, but it can contribute to the overall well-being of, of any course you play, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, one of the things I often talk about is people that are hunters and how they, you know, they take care of the environment and they pass up on bucks that are too small or throw the fish back if it's too little. Uh, I mean, if you really care about golf and enjoy that as part of your life, uh, it behooves you to take care of those facilities and also to think about what you're paying for. Um, you know, if you're if you're playing Arcadia Bluffs, I think you have some expectations that match that price point. If you've mm-hmm. got a group golfer code for a twilight round for 20 bucks, uh, you know, maybe you're not going to get uh, Arcadia Bluffs or, you know, Augusta National for that price. So I think it's important that you think about what you're what you're paying for. And if there's a golf course you love and you like, uh, support them. Right. I mean, a lot of people see golf courses as this way to uh, to sit in there. It's a great way to make money. The profit margins are so thin and it's so weather dependent and it's a short season. Um, so this this new increase in play is great. And, you know, raking traps and fixing your ball marks and all that is good as well. But I think also matching expectations to what you're paying for is important as well to make sure that you have a good experience. So how, the, how, how do you see this thing progressing? Where does this go from here? I mean, how do you attract people? to this part of the game? Yeah, it's tough. Uh, you know, there's there's different programs around the country that have done some pretty aggressive marketing to high school students. Uh, we have a program we call the First Green, uh, where we basically go out and do some science experience on golf courses uh, through, you know, it's usually middle school, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, to kind of expose them to all the agronomic stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Because it really is a pretty deep scientific profession uh, when you dig into all the data and the soil and the grass types and water and inputs and all that sort of stuff to to get it to work um so i think that's important to reach out to younger folks um as far as getting into it as a career and going to college for it Uh, as far as general labor goes honestly i'm not sure i'm not sure what's going to turn that around uh more than likely there's probably going to be some robot mowers out there you're going to see mowers without seats on them uh operating with gps technology as that stuff starts to progress and it's already starting it's just not quite there yet um, but I, I just don't know if there's a way to see a massive turnaround uh, in young folks that want to necessarily be outside and doing some manual labor and uh, all that sort of stuff. But maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Well, look, I, I think um, you, you look at this particular sport and, and the way that it's always been constructed. It's a, a gentleman's game and, and there are a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the unwritten rules to everything. But with all that being said, you look at a sport like football, you look at the, the uh, soccer and any baseball, certainly any of these sports uh, that, that have somebody that has people that tend to the surface in which they play are, uh, mm-hmm often just as important as times as, as the players on the field uh, or ice or whatever surface. Uh, So it's obviously something that we'll keep an eye on here in the state of Michigan as, as more golfers get out there. Um, But certainly uh, our, uh, our thoughts are with you as you, you, you keep everything green for us. So we appreciate all the work you do. Thank you, Chris. And I would encourage anybody that's listening that, that enjoys the game of golf, looking for a summer job uh, to reach out to your local golf course and find out if there's a spot for you. I bet there is. Awesome. Adam Ickmus, Executive Director of the Michigan Golf Course Superintendents Association. Always appreciate your time. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Chris. All right, there he is. More to come on Sports Wrap. Coming up next, Chris Renwick, Nick Rowdy here on WJR.
Now back to more Sports Wrap. Presented by FanDuel. Download the FanDuel Sports app today. FanDuel, more ways to win. Here's Chris Renwick. All right, welcome back. And look, I got I got a question. And I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of fathers, uh, certainly or mothers, have been in this situation. And and Nick, I, I need your help figuring this out. All right, so you know Jake. I got J- Jake. Jake is, is almost three. He'll be three in June. And uh, I really want to get Jake on the golf course, I, or at least, uh, you know, somewhere that he can kind of figure out the game of golf. Now, to talk about what a degenerate I am, <laughs> I purchased a real set of clubs for him. So they're real clubs. They're like uh, the irons. I got a driver. I don't have a putter. And every time I talk about getting him a little putter, I mean, you could feel my 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 wife roll her eyes in, uh, you know, North Carolina. I mean, it, it's it's that ridiculous, all right? And I understand. I own it. But my question is, when can I go all Earl Woods here and just try to get this kid going? Like, is it too early? Am I too ambitious? I want to get him. I love playing golf. It's one of my favorite hobbies. Um, and I think it would be cool to kind of get him out there, you know, get him in the golf cart, ride around. I think it would be a fun experience for him. Too young. Am I, like, jumping the gun here? So did he get the plastic set of clubs that all the young toddlers get before these brand-new irons he got? I, I think for he their had Callaway those. Or, what did he get? He, he got some yeah, brand name. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, no, they're not. They're like <laughs> top flight or whatever. Uh, and I, in fact, I got them at the, the Michigan Golf Show over at the Suburban Collection. Uh, but, yeah, I think I had purchased the, the plastic set before he was born. Like, they were waiting at home. Now, did he use them a lot? Does he use his irons now? Does he play with them outside? Well, so, you know, as a... Or are you forcing as, because, him to do this? Well, yeah. so, look, he likes to go outside and kick the soccer ball around. He likes, he's got a little t-ball set that he likes to play with. He's not overly coordinated yet. Uh, uh, you know, and basketball he likes. Like, he's into it. Uh, but I think I would like to try to push the envelope a little further to try to get him to, to swing. Now, he likes when I hold the club with him and help him swing, and he likes it, and he thinks it's fun and funny. Uh, but I just I want to go. I just want to push all the chips in. Like, I want to go full Earl Woods, and let's just get this kid. Like, I gotta, we got to beat him into greatness here. Like, let's, let's do this thing. So, yeah, what's the first step? Do you take him to a driving range? Do you take him putt-putting? I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I don't know. It's a good question. So, like, I would imagine... Like the putt putt thing is probably step number one. Like get him into that uh, environment, right? Like it's probably fun, yeah. and then like uh, let him putt it around. Like I think that's probably cool. Or like any type of, you know, any type of situation where if I can get him to enjoy it, <laughs> I think that would probably help me later on. Yeah, you need him to be occupied though too. I mean, you yeah. You don't want him to get past the second hole and want to leave. So I think that's why putt putts right. the good idea of each hole's different. You hit it through the little clown's mouth. Either you put it in the water, and you get the satisfaction of getting the ball in the hole eventually. If you're Jake, probably. 
Right. And I know you're a, a farming tonight or whatever you guys call yourselves. Uh, what's that? Uh, what's that pot pot place over on Grand River? It, it, it with all those decrepit looking animals <laughs> that are there. Do you know what I'm talking I about? I do. I don't know the Across name. The, uh, no, I don't know the name either, but the, maybe we could go there. Like, right? Like, it, it's, it's, uh, he ain't hurting anything <laughs> at that point. No. So, like, let's get him there. There's, he could see, uh, an, uh, you know, a 90 year old gorilla, and away we go. I think the golf course, like, I think it would be fun to be in the golf cart, right? Like, that, yeah. the, that you're driving around, like, you're outside. Like, I think that could, it's like another draw to the whole thing. Yeah. Like he, he, this is why I bring this up because I'm in, I'm I'm try I'm trying to work it over here. I'm trying to get this kid out there, and my wife's like, "What are you do- like? What are you doing? Why, why are you trying to push the envelope here?" And I'm like, "Because I think he'll be have fun, and maybe I'm just you know hoping that he'll be my meal ticket." Okay, so when yeah, when did you start golfing? Or playing with um, golf clubs. I started golfing in 2015. Oh, so you were well past the age of three. So I was well past the age <laughs> of three. I and I and he, here's why: because we were getting married, and I wanted to have a big tournament because we like we're not from here, like we weren't born here. So all of our extended family and stuff is out of state. So when everybody was coming in. I was like, you know, we, we got married over at uh, at St. John's in Plymouth. And I said, look, at the day after, let's have like a big, uh, you know, family tournament. Like I, we got a bunch of golfers in the family. So I said, let's let's get everybody out there and we'll have fun. My wife's like, I'm not doing that. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, well, then I'll do it. So uh, so I tried to take up golfing ahead of that. Turned out the next day it was it, like incredibly stormy and like a tornado or something. So uh, it didn't work, but that's when I started golfing. So I, I haven't even been golfing that long, which is why I got to try to go Earl Woods here and get this kid way ahead of the curve. Yeah. It, do you think he's more talented at golf than he is at uh, kicking the soccer ball two feet or, or missing the ball off the tee? Is this no, his future? No, I got to be honest. His. His his soccer skills, I think, are ahead of where I thought he'd be. All right, like he's he he can he can move it around. Uh, again, I mean, again, he ain't Ronaldinho. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he, he's he's too. But but um, I think if I can push him in this direction, I'd be I think I'd be better served. Now, this probably could go for many sports. Like when do you put when do you put him in something? Like when do you put him in soccer? When do you put I think him you in? Take him baseball, to summer camp. T-ball? I think you take him to summer camp this year. You think I? You think I take him to uh, like a like a like a like a like a camp for a specific sport like golf? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't say golf, but right. I would say maybe like a multi-sport camp where they might play All a different right. sport each day. Fair enough. All right, there it is. That's the win. Here's the answer. That's gonna do it for us. There it is. Yes, there it is. Thank you. All right, uh, that's gonna do it for us tonight. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Chris Renovic, Nick Roddy, Sports Wrap here on WJR.